<laughs> I'm not really scared of that either. Um, it's really just everything else after that. Um, it's the biggest thing is a contract, um, distribution contract. And that's the boogeyman. It's not anything else. That's the scariest thing in the film industry. Well, y'all, I mean, podcast is starting. We rolling. We rolling, oh, Ricky. No. Oh. Ricky, we rolling. Oh, we rolling. Look, see, I already know. <laughs> y'all already know. Based off of that, I'm just going to let y'all know. I got that fire. I tried to tell y'all. Season two, we're coming different. Uh, this is Why Now with Alexander DeBlanc. Thank you all for tuning in today. And like I said, I have a very unique guest that's on, coming on to speak with y'all today. This guy... This guy is one of the most determined, hardworking individuals that I have ever had the opportunity to know. I've known him for more than half of my life. What is this, third grade? I third Ms. grade. Miss Jackson's class, almost right? 20 years. Like, <laughs> no, literally, <laughs> almost, almost 20, 20 years. years yeah. And to see your growth, man, it's, it's remarkable. Uh, I am faced and sitting right in front of me is none other then my brother, my friend, my colleague, and also uh, a trainer who doesn't know that he's my trainer, <laughs> but be training me in the gym. Uh, my brother Ishmael Brunson. Brother, how are you doing today? I'm fine. I'm great. And I'm really excited to be here today. <laughs> Man, like, when you texted me and you were like, let's, let's, let's have you on a pod, I... I I rushed and I told my man Izzy, I mean, my man, not Izzy, my man Ricky, like, bro, I already have a guest. We had been talking about getting some more visuals and things of that nature on the podcast. And you were like the perfect candidate to come on to the show because, like I said, you have been somebody that has been so determined on your road. And it didn't start with what you do, which is now you're in the film space, you're a filmmaker, actor, director. You have worn many hats along this journey. <laughs> and one of those many hats was weightlifting and bodybuilding. And I was talking to Ricky, said one of my best friends, his name is Daniel. And literally, Daniel, I think there was like, what, 145, 155. I was like, bro, Izzy was the same size when Dan, as Dan when we graduated high school. And looking at you now, bro, you have competed you have gone to on the national stage and have won, you know what I mean? So like, before we get into the story of filmmaking and everything, I kind of wanted to just take a step back and to, to know a little bit about you and how you got to this place. Yeah. Like, how did you get into the mindset of even fitness and bodybuilding, lifting and in any type of capacity? Yeah, um, I guess it started out first where I was playing basketball for a while, and one day, uh, me and my friends, they just took me to the gym. I didn't like it that much the first few times. Um, I actually didn't come back for a while. I think I was about 18. Um, one summer, I kept eating a lot of red dye, so like a bunch of just like gross foods, and I just feel disgusting. It's very sluggish, and I realized I was getting a little bit older, and I said for my 19th birthday, I was gonna buy a gym membership. And just kind of go to the gym three, four times a week. And when I got in there, I saw like humongous muscular dudes. I have never seen humans <laughs> that big in my life. And I was like tiny, you know, I was very skinny. I was about six to 178. Okay. That's solid though. It was, it was all right. Yeah. Well, not compared to where I am now, but it was all right, <laughs> I guess. And I was very skinny and I had a big old afro and 
the weights kind of hurt to touch and I didn't really understand what I was doing, but I just said, you know what, every day when I finish classes, I'll come to the gym. So most of the time my classes finished around 9 p.m. and I'll be in the gym around 10 and I'll leave at 11 and I'll walk home that gym at noon, uh, sorry, midnight. So I did that schedule for about six months and I started realizing how much bigger I was getting and I got more interested in the history of bodybuilding and, you know, silver, bronze, golden age, you know, Arnold and everything. And I kept studying bodybuilding, kept studying it. Um, I found out about the Mr. Olympia um, was coming on and I just kind of watched it and I watched how big these guys were. And for some reason in me, I was like, I can make a really good physique too. I know even though they, yeah, they yeah, nah, I could do that. Yeah, yeah I, like, <laughs> I could do that. And um, I just started training, training. I learned about the classes. My older brother competed. Um, and I went to a bodybuilding show for the first time in person. Mm. And I met Jay Cutler in person. And shout out to Jay Cutler. Yeah, Jay Cutler is a, uh, I believe, five times Mr. Olympia. Um, he competed in, I say, uh, arguably among one of the hardest years, which is against Ronnie Coleman, who was an eight-time Mr. Olympia, and he's dethroned him a few times. And I met Jay in person, and he was a really nice guy. I met him a few times, actually, around the world, which is crazy. I met him here, Ohio. He's around in Nevada. Like, I met him. You just meet him randomly. He's always just out there. He's not a hidden person at all in the fitness community. Uh -huh. And... um. I was, you know, I met him, I saw my brother compete, and I, within a year, I think within two years, I decided I'm going to compete, and I got to 200 pounds, I cut down to 178, I didn't do well in that class, I decided, okay, well, next year I'm going to get bigger and come back. I bulked up to 222 pounds, uh, got to, died it down to 192, won my class, I said, okay, let me do a third one, then give another year. And then I did another one and I got to back to around, I think 217, but I was much more leaner and compact. Then I did my class. I didn't do as well because my class was a lot bigger that, that one. Um, and I didn't peak as well, but I took that experience and decided to add more size. I was supposed to actually compete this year, um, but I snapped my leg this year when I was doing a 635 squat. Yeah. Let me tell you about this guy. No, 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 no. I got to walk people through that because I saw the video. And how long was it until you got back in the gym? Like you had surgery. And I had surgery December, but right before Christmas, uh -huh. I told the surgeons. And they were the same surgeons who do the Washington Wizards. Uh -huh. I told them, I want my surgery within like now. And they said, okay. And keep in mind, uh, for those who don't know, I had a PCL tear. Well, actually rupture, traumatic rupture is a professional term. My quad had completely separated from my leg, so I was disabled. I could not walk. Um, I lost my ability to walk. I had to hop everywhere, which was, it was very challenging. And every day I didn't have surgery, my muscles slowly uh, rolls up your leg. Mm. And so I rushed to get the surgery within two weeks. And so I tore. So all that happened in December, got surgery, and I was on my red carpet because I told my surgeon, I said, hey, I want to be on my red carpet January 15th, I believe, was the day. Bruh. And so he said, and I said, do you think I could walk? He says, I don't know. I said, can I walk? And he said, <laughs> <laughs> like, I just need you to be straight. Uh, yeah, I was right like, <laughs> he was like, I, he was like, yeah, you can go. You, you know, you sign up for PT and stuff on the first. I said, all right. So on December, right before Christmas, I got my surgery. Mm. And January 15th, I was on the red carpet with my um, torn leg. And I was there smiling. I gave my crutches to the uh, person taking my photos and I just stood. I saved all my strength to just stand up 
take my pictures and walk to my crushes. That and is yeah. insane. <laughs> that is insanity at its finest. Yeah. And what's even crazier is when you go back to the gym and start lifting again, like, because <laughs> I feel like not long after I saw you in the gym and I was like, what are you doing here? Yeah. Like, what? Like, you weren't doing, I mean, but it, it was crazy because like you, you, I saw you like building your way up and still continuously building your way up to like very limited workouts and you were doing one leg workouts at some points. I'm like, bro, this guy is not human, bro. Like this guy is not human because there's no way that, and again, the video was, 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 I was, I felt for you and I was like, dang, bro, like I could just feel. And I think I called you while you were in the hospital that day. And I was like, bro, are you okay? Like this is, this is, are, are you, and you're like, yeah, I mean, it, it hurts, but bro, I wasn't even crying. I would have been in pain. Like, I wouldn't have been able to speak. And he's just literally like, yeah, Sam's here with me right now. I shout out to Sam, took you to the hospital. I was just yeah. like, bro, how are you doing this? And then now you're back in the gym. Yeah. You're a hundred percent and yeah. you are doing new ventures. Yeah. But the new venture started before. Yeah. I you, um, Yeah. So you are, you have, you transitioned from bodybuilding and everything and you stepped into the world of acting well you know they're kind of overlapped yeah so you acted directing producing writer yeah. uh at what moment in time did you transition what, what was the moment for you where you're like mm, this is what I, direction that i want to go because i know you went to school for this but like when did you feel the impulse to step into the role right it's oh it was a long journey because I, my personality trait is I like to be hidden in a way mm -hmm. um, and just out of the way. So when I first started, I was a film editor. I edited everybody's films, whoever was making anything in our class for Ms. Green. I edited whatever film came in, I edited it. Anything that was news, I edited it because I was out of the way. And some people in class kept saying, hey, we want you in front of the camera. I didn't like it. So I said, went back to the editing bay. Right. Um, I went to school and I went for editing. But something in me kept saying there might be something else I might like mm. because I realized how expensive editing could be, which keeping up with technology and all the new applications that come out. And I realized it's very expensive. And I didn't have it during that time. It's very expensive venture. And I said, okay, well, if I don't really have the money right now and I'm about 22 at the time, um, what can I do? And when I graduated Towson, I actually didn't have very strong film connections. Um, so I was on indeed.com looking for film work and it took me one year of every day looking on indeed for film work. Mm. And I was, by this time I had built a personal training business. I had multiple jobs. Um, I had a full-time job. I was a manager at a gym and I saw something come across, which was to be a personal assistant on a feature film. And I literally read that that morning and that was the day I quit my job. And it was for free, by the way, um, for two months. I quit that job. I used all my savings to, um, I had a really old car back then. I used all my savings to make the car move. And I showed up on set and I was like, this is it. This is how I start. I was a PA and yes, I started off getting coffees, um, getting yelled at, all this stuff. And this was on a, B, a film that is now going to be on BT Plus called Bundles. Um, I was folding tables literally in DC because we just finished wow. eating and this was in Southeast and no, actually, yeah, I think about Southeast and I was putting the tables away and the, I think the producer, director and writer, 
um, they looked at me because I, 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 by the way, how I looked on this set, I wore a bandana, I had a beard, um, I was wearing a tank top, sweatpants, and and I was muscular dude just, just like holding gym. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just looked like I just came back from the gym. So I didn't really like dress to look like I was going to be on camera. Yeah. But they just kept seeing me. I worked hard on the set. I did everything I possibly could. Mm. And the producer looked at me and he said, hey, they kept calling my name. I thought I did something wrong. And so in my head, I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, they're calling my name again. I'm doing I'm folding like, the tables. Yeah. yeah, you know, I'm How do you fold tables. tables wrong? How do I fold yeah. tables wrong? I'm like, what are my tables wrong? Why are they calling me? Why scream my name across the street? So I run from, you know, to across the street. And the producer looked at me and he said, lob them up. So what? So yeah, lob them up. And one of the actresses said, "Really?" They said, "Yep, just lob them up." And wow. the actress came over to me. She said, "Okay, use your lines." I said, "What? Wait, what?" And the sound guy comes over. No, his name was Dave. Stuck it, pulled up my shirt. So they said, "All right, man, you're gonna do a good job." And I said, "What is going?" They're like, "Yeah, you're gonna be in a movie." I said, "Why?" They're like, "I, you look like you could, you should be in a movie." <laughs> and, and I was like, you know, and so I. Memorize those. I had to like memorize those lines. I had no training yet or anything. I was still very timid being in front of the camera, but I remember I just sat, closed my eyes, I just breathed for a little bit, and this scene was traumatic. It was literally a scene about someone's mom dying, and I have to stop her from going inside the building and tell her that her mom's died. Don't go in there. And the the actresses were phenomenal actresses, and they were bringing so much energy. And I couldn't remember the lines, but I just knew what was going on the scene. And I just followed directions. And the adrenaline from doing that made me go, hmm, you know, maybe I could, wow. maybe I have to act. And that's how I got my first start was, yeah, it sounds like a movie, but that's literally what happened is the directors and stuff saw me and gave me the opportunity to show myself. And I think after that, I used Ed, my, oh, go ahead. Correct me if I'm wrong. This is the first job that you quit for. You quit. For, yeah. and this happens yes and talk about stepping out <laughs> in faith like and 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 i forgot to start off like this but all the glory to jesus christ my lord and savior because we're talking about faith and everything bro like this is that is remarkable bro like that that is that is a movie in and of itself yeah. it's just like bro you quit your job and all of a sudden this gentleman that doesn't know you from adam and eve is like nah like i want him i yes. want him to say a role so then from there you just you just started yeah. How did you go about finding more roles? How how did that yeah, track it's, become? It's a very interesting thing. So I asked everybody, first of all, before I even got off set, I said, I'm not leaving here without finding out how did they all know each other and why, how they even know this was happening. Mm. I asked every single person on set, how did you know about this? Who hired you? Who did? Who did this? I asked everybody. And the sound guy, I was glued to him on set. I love Dave. He said, you know, he's kind of nauseous. Just give me your phone, kid. I said, what? You get, I get on my phone. He said, you got Facebook, right? I said, yeah, I got Facebook. I don't use it that much. He said, all right, you're going to start using Facebook. He typed in um, the area DMV filmmakers, and he said, oh, these are just Facebook group chats out. Everybody's posting film work. You know, they're like small indie films. Some have just $500 budgets. Some could end up having six-figure budgets. Mm. You don't know what's going to pop, pop in there. And I saw that. And I said, wow. And then I realized I need to use headshots. I think I had about $120 in my bank account at that time. And I met a photographer and I told him, I asked my friend, said, hey, who do you know who does headshots for $100? And there was this new photographer that was making shots and he just wanted to do it. I paid him $100 and I got my headshots and I started working. 
right after. <laughs> I'm just like, nah, like I, I mean, I said it in the beginning, but like one of the most determined, hardest working individuals that I know. And then from that, like from writing, I mean, from acting, you go into writing and directing and producing. And it's just, it's just crazy how just that one step of faith has jump started all of this. And we know why you're here. Like there's, we're going to get to that later. We're going to talk about that later. But from that, when did you fit? How did your trend like track go? Cause you went acting and then like, how did it, did you go from acting straight to producing, to directing, to writing, or was it all in the same? And it was like, I got in the industry now I want to do everything. Like, how did you determine like the track that you wanted to go in the industry? Right. So I, after many different TV shows I've been doing and movies and all these red carpets and it's all glam and stuff, you know, you get paid a little bit of money, mm-hmm. but you realize you're not a named actor yet. So you haven't gotten that role where it supplements a yearly income. Huh. And most sag act, most actors don't even make 25K a year from acting. You know, even if you just did it year round, most actors don't even make enough for the health insurance from SAG. So I realized, I said, um, I, I had my agent one day and he sent me a whole bunch of things and I, and I had my reps in uh, Los Angeles. I was getting so many typecasting kind of roles um, because of just being muscular or tall or whatever. Mm. And I realized, I said, this, if even if I got something really big and I was auditioning for all the big giants like Ty Perry and stuff, mm-hmm. I said, these, this isn't what I envisioned myself doing. Mm. And I said, there's got to be something else I can do. And I kept trying harder, learning classes. And I was like, no matter how much I refine my tool, it's not going to hit the target until someone lets me throw it at it. And I said, I realized, and I said, and studied the history of just other black filmmakers and filmmakers in general. Yeah. Issa Rae's uh, show, I believe Insecure, just ended around this time. So it's last season. And I decided to do more research on her because I didn't watch that much TV because I was just working so much. Right. Um, and I realized how she started. And I said, wait a second. Shout out to Issa. Yeah, she, she's dope. <laughs> she is, she's great. And I think that, that that show, like literally hearing that news made me go and research her mm. and learn her and become a fan of her because of which, where she started. And I said, wait a second. Let me look at the other black filmmakers, Spike Lee's thing. And I, and I, like, I literally, and I even read their scripts too. They're all online. And I read their scripts and stuff. And I said, wait a second. They went and just took that leap of faith for themselves and funded their things and made their own stuff. And I said, yeah, okay, I need to start then. And this was December, I believe 2021. Um, and I said, okay, January 1st, I'm writing. That's, that's exactly what I said. So I believe her show ended around December, like 20 something. Uh-huh. I said, all right, January 1st, I'm writing. And I just said, okay, I already downloaded screenwriting software. And I just said, you know what? I'm just going to write. I'm, I bought, I went to Staples, bought a whole bunch of notebooks and stuff. I'm going to write whatever story I can think of. I'm going to write a TV show. I'm just going to write a TV show. And I started writing as much as I could. And I ended up writing a, which was extremely long. I didn't know all the rules of writing, but I just said, I'm going to write something and, and do it well. Uh-huh. And I wrote a TV show, which was Red Face, with my first one. But I wrote a 120-page like pilot. You don't do that. But I wrote a 120-page <laughs> pilot. And with everything I wanted, action scenes and 
you know, yeah. everything I yeah, want. Yeah, yeah. Let my imagination just go, and I wrote it, and then I trimmed it down later. Like now, it's actually presentable to an executive. Mm-hmm. Like, I said, okay, I'm going. I wrote that, and then I wrote something else, and I wrote something else, and I said, I need to learn to refine my skill. I started paying for classes, writing classes, okay, taking notes. Um, at this point, I said, and then I end up in a writing community all of a sudden. Then I said, okay, well, the acting community, we're complaining we're not getting certain roles. The writing community is complaining their stuff's not getting made. Mm. So I said, okay. It's two different battles. It's two yeah. different battles going on. Yeah. So I said, okay, I don't have enough arrows in my quiver now. How do I get things made? Okay, they're saying the producers get their stuff made. Okay, so what's a producer do? Started going up. I learned that tool. So I was like, because I, I had to. Learn I, I got to learn how to produce. Okay, so I was like, I guess I'm going to learn how to produce because I'm seeing too many people saying their stuff's not getting picked up and they're talking about executives doing this, executives doing that. I said, all right, I got to learn how to produce. I started learning how to produce. I said, all right, I find books. I found YouTube. I found articles. I'm paying for, I've, I've literally paid for like maybe like close to almost $200 worth of like books and stuff, you know, like big, uh-huh. big books on uh, Kindle, a whole bunch of uh, hard books. And I said, okay, I learned how to produce. Great. Um, I learned how to get the money and all this stuff. Okay, how do you learn how to direct? <laughs> because at this point, you're a student of the game. I, I had to learn because I learned people, even though I have worked for so many people for free projects and, you know, all this other stuff, people looked at yourself. They're just like, I don't, I don't want to do anything for you. Mm. You know, I, oh, I'm, I'm too busy. And I was like, wait, wait, wait a second. I've worked on your stuff for free. You won't even come direct myself or come help me or anything like i've learned people just closing their doors but i've done so much for them for years you mm-hmm. know anytime someone needed an extra uh someone just come know some lines just come up real quick or next day i always make myself available i'll right. take off work i'll do that then i realized i said wait I, I i need to stop going for people for it and this is something i'll talk about later but stop going up for people help because that's also is sabotage, but not asking for help is also sabotage. Mm-hmm. So there needs to be a balance. Mm. And I went yeah. and I had to learn all the tools. And once I kind of became my own one-stop shop, then it was just getting the money. It was no longer looking for someone to direct. It was no longer looking for a writer. It was no longer really looking for someone who understands acting. It was looking for money. And learning business was something that is just the steps of curves and turns and turns of time to executives how approach someone on an email how to cold call all those things and you're going to get at least two thousand no's so there's anybody out there that's saying the first hundred no's well i'm sorry you're going to get a lot hundreds of more maybe a few thousand more yeah because the thing is with executives is their reputation is on the line no matter what they're taking on you know because if let's say a film fails or something and it costs a company a lot of money they could be out of a job. You know, the company's going to say, who brought that in? You know, that project was horrible. They bankrupt us or whatever. They don't want that on their name. You know, they have a stable job. They're in the film industry. They have a pretty sweet job. They're just saying yes, no to ideas most of the time. Mm-hmm. So You're just green lighting, yeah. green lighting signing the checks, signing checks, you know, sitting back, listening pitches. It may be exhausting because you hear so much, but look what your position you're in. You know, you're, you're the hunter more so, you know, you're not like us who are kind of, kind of get scraps. So I kind of learned that with the executives. I went to California. I went to the American film market, which um, there's these capitals, I'll say, of film markets where it's more so executives meet in a certain place in different parts of the planet, mm-hmm. not just America. So you have the film market here, which is in um, Venice, um, in Santa Monica area. 
But then you also have places in Berlin, China, Japan, um, Nigeria, South Africa. There is places all these executives will fly to yeah. and sell their films to each other. And you kind of, as an independent film, if you can fly there, yeah. you can go there and you can go and pitch to these people, get an email list of thousands of executives. Uh, well, even maybe even a hundred thousand really. And you can sit, write their emails down, what I did, and pitch your films to them and see what happens because you don't know. And that's how I got my meetings. You know, even though you're nobody, sometimes what you say could be a film. You're not a nobody. Before. You're not a nobody. <laughs> you're not a no. You're somebody to somebody. And that's oh, something boy. that I have to come to learn is that um, along the journey, even with this, is that in what the society was tell you that you're a no, but you are somebody to somebody. It just may not be your moment to be that somebody. Mm -hmm. And um, going back to kind of like your, I wanted to hear a little bit about your inspiration because I know, because I know you personally, mm -hmm. that you are a huge advocate for anime. <laughs> you are a huge advocate for just sci-fi and certain type yeah. of films. And I'm going to get back to like the funding and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. But when you talk about creative and be, your, your creative uh, niche and how you got to that place, because you said 120 pages. I don't think people understand. 120 pages for a pilot is insane. Like that is crazy. You were just never <laughs> just just yeah. just typing like, yo. You said I want laser beams on this, like, yeah. But how much? How, what was your inspiration when you first started writing? Like, what direction did you want to go? I know we've talked about it. There's there's not many people that are doing what you're doing and what you you hope to aspire in the industry yeah. but what was your inspiration when it came to a writing from a writing standpoint man um with my background of stories i guess it would be obviously a lot of manga artists and you know animes and i'll say some of my few favorites i always love oda who made one piece uh -huh. um in a way who made I can't get started there it's yeah too, one too piece, many one one big man. I'm taking. A, I'm taking an L. Like I'm just never going to see a thousand episodes. No, yeah. no, thank you. His imagination is huge, and it taught anime taught me so much about how big your brain can really go. You can create your literal own planet if you want to. Mm. Um, I Oda's one. Um, anyway, who made um Vagabond, um Moria, uh, Berserk. Um, I mean, there's just so many yeah. great artists out there that make their own planets and suck you in. Um, Urosawa, who made 13, uh, 21st Century Boys. I mean, when it came to making a something that's different, because for me, when it came to writing, when I first started, I realized while I was writing was most people, when they start writing, they write things that inspired them. So like a TV show that they watch and something sim similar. Or you sometimes, what a lot of writers do is they practice writing, like to get an imagination. So they'll see a TV show and they'll write an episode for that TV show to get a job. And a lot of writers do that. For me, it wasn't even, I didn't need to do any of that, man. Like, I, I've been drawing and making my own comics and stuff because I wanted to be a, a cartoonist when I was growing up. Oh, wow. Yeah, before filmmaking. And um, something just clicked. And I was like, wait, I can make anything. And I, my brain just goes off. And when my kind of style, and you'll see for um, project is, I like understanding the person's mind that you hide. So who you are is who you are when you're alone. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of things that I go into. And that's that's what I like talking about. Um, who are people when they're hiding behind a mask? I want to know the person behind the mask and that the person 
that greets them when they walk in the door mm-hmm. or a grocery store. No, that's not you. That's who you are to blend in with everybody else. You don't want to be seen. The person when you go home, that's who that's who you let loose. You know, I would say like it's always different about knowing people because yeah, I may know this person. I don't know what it's like when they work eight, ten hours and they come home. Yeah. I don't know when it's like when something bad happened, they had to come home. I don't know if you have, what you're like when you had a great day and you come home. I don't know that person. Right. Um, you know, so that's the kind of stories I focus on. It's kind of interesting because it's kind of like the person outside that 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 is the person outside. That's the mask. Yeah. And but you you reverse it in a sense like that. That's very unique. It was so when we talk about red face, what was your inspiration there? Like, like, and for those that don't know, Red Face was his short film, his first writing. Yeah. He wrote it, directed, produced it, and acted in it. <laughs> like, how? What was your inspiration there? Man, I think when I made Red Face, I I just loved the idea of someone who's hiding behind something. Um, mm. Because sometimes if you're hiding behind something, you're hiding who you really are, and that's something is kind of an idea of, you know, people say Bruce Wayne is actually. Uh, is what Batman is hiding to be because Batman's actually who he is, mm-hmm. but he's hiding to be Bruce Wayne. So with Red Face, I made a story about a world where um, there's just so much crime and it was going to go into martial law and they had to figure out why is the crime so high and find the people who are doing it. And, and it goes all the way up to a certain kind of thing where it's rich people who are causing all the crime wow. in this city. And Red Face was a product of something they did to his family. And that's just what it happens when people are careless with their money, careless with people, and are greedy. And Red Face kind of comes for revenge. Um, is he a good guy? You know, it's, it's very bloody in some way, but it was a TV show about this. And it was actually a star actress was supposed to be the star because it's about a brother and a sister. And they're and they're both in the police force, and she joins a, um, a specialized force um, and called Swan. And Swans are pretty much a force of people who have certain kind of skills for certain kind of events around the planet. And her sister joins Swan, and Swan also doesn't like her brother. And so you kind of have this tension in this TV show um, after the first season between you know does she turn her brother in? And his and her brother's missing, but his brother's committing a lot of crimes. But they're not bad crimes because he's taking out bad people. But that would be what the TV show's about until the final. Um, he has like his own team and some other characters. But it's a very I actually wrote a book too on Red Face. Um, I have a storybook of the entire first season, and I have Red Face as a sizzle reel, um, which is a pretty good short to just show different things. And I created the costume myself um, out of fabric. I didn't know how to make a costume. I took cloth and I put it around my ring light and I didn't know how to sew really and I just sewed it together and I made a mask and I made the mask and I went to thrift store, got the costume together and I called my friend. Bro, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just listening and I'm just like, bro, you are like, when it comes to DIY, like you need to put that on your resume, like, like DIY, like do it yourself. That is like, you need to trademark that. <laughs> Yeah, man. I I went I went and I didn't know how to draw, but I just drew it anyways in my book. And I envisioned this character, and I told people, I said, "Hey, just wait. I know this drawing's ugly, but I already see what this character looks like." And I put the money in. I got professional shoots, and this is why I always tell people believe in your friends because 
one of my friends, he had just started his photography business, which that was humongous, but he started in his apartment. And when I came for my second time of headshots, he just said, oh, I'm, I'm just starting off, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, man, I'm, I'm going to pay this money and I'm going to, you know, take these headshots. Took these headshots, phenomenal headshots. We stayed close friends. He remembers me believing his, his project. So when I came around Red Face, by then he went from shooting his apartment to now he has a, his own office space. Wow. And so he does photo shoots in there and he flies around up and down the East Coast doing photo shoots and stuff for big companies. I just call him now and he just, and he'll just set a time and he, he just, he's, he always offers his service for me. He's always a big supporter because, you know, I remembered him. He remembers how much I supported him. And so came up to the studio. I said, Hey, I have this costume. He said, all right. And the thing is we came up at 10 o'clock at night in Baltimore. We came up and at 10 a.m. at 10 PM, he had just came from a gig and he said, no, I'm going to knock this out for you. And we shot the costume and. We took pictures of it and I had nice pictures that one day I'm actually haven't pitched Red Face yet because I want to be a certain point in my career where I have more creative control mm. and people are questioning of my ability. Okay. And so I, it was, it's a very interesting show and I really want to be able to make it the way I want to as much as I can. So I've been waiting on that. Um, so I went and did that. And first of all, congratulations. And <laughs> like just hearing the process, that is nothing that is like. You hear it, it's like, yeah, I can do that. Like the determination, the the faith to be able to step out and be like, look, bro, I don't know how I do it, but we're gonna get here some way, yeah. somehow, you know. Uh, but you touched on something that was so important is building a team. You know what yeah. I mean? And while you are a one man team and you do a lot, we know that in this industry yeah. there is an importance and something that you said always reminds me of what Issa Ray talks about with her success to get to an insecure, which is networking around you. Like yeah. everybody tries to scale up and work with the people that are already doing the things, but she's basically was saying like, you have a talent pool of people, mm -hmm. of creatives, of writers that are around you. How do you maneuver that? And how do you discern when picking a team? Yeah. Like who to have around you? Cause you're in that process right now. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we're going to get to the project, but like <laughs> now that you have the funding and everything in that capacity, the next step is, Who's on my team to make yes. this this project come to life? Yes, and one hundred percent. And I always tell people is, who you meet matters the most. And I know you'll hear a quote saying it's not about who you know or who knows you per se. I actually say, who believes in you? Mm. Because I know a lot of people. I know a lot of people. You know, and just because they know who you are doesn't mean that they're going to help you. Uh, you need people who want to help you. Right. And that's how you pick your team. And so for me, I was lucky enough that I went to Towson University mm. and met so many creatives. Shout out to TU. There's so Towson. many people that I know. <laughs> Daniel, my best friend, Ricky, who is behind the camera. Shout out to Ricky, my boy. You know what I mean? <laughs> Set us up, got us looking right. Absolutely. You have to go out there and talk to people. I have a very quiet, conservative, more personality but when you're out on set, you have to talk to people, get their Instagrams, get their phone numbers, get something that they can, that you can reach them to later. Because sometimes you don't know you and them, it's a very closed community. Like there is not many people who want to do this. And then at a certain few years, you'll see the numbers drop off. I remember when I first started as an actor, you know, you have like 30, 40 acting friends. That number significantly drops off over five years. And it might be just 10 of you still doing it and the rest moved mm -hmm. on. So the people who are still doing it years later are the ones you want to reach out to because they're familiar that you're still in it. But you also want to reach out to people 
not just people who are doing it, but people who's been actively improving their skill. Because if they're not actively improving their skill, their skill, it makes the market not respond to them because they're behind. So you want people who are actively still doing this work, still getting better. And that also makes sure that you are useful to them too. You are getting better because it can't just be a one way street. So when, when you, man, Fred, you're dropping gems right now. Like, nah, for real. So when you got into, you just talked about how many people drop off. Yeah. And like, you got to a place where I feel you continuously evolved. It was like, you got to a place in acting and it was, it was like, okay, let me learn this. Let me learn this. And you continue to evolve and grow in taking in the industry and all that the industry has to offer. Uh, at what point, would you say it really clicked for it? Well, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but like, I'm ready to get this funded. You know what I mean? It's like, mm -hmm. I got all the skills. I got, all, uh, did my research. I got this project. Let me pitch this and go get this funded. Yeah. I, um, I want to say after I did red face was okay. it all clicked. And I said, wait, I can actually do this. And thing is, like I said, my personality, I didn't really want to be the forefront of something. I was very cool with being a quiet leader where I just make sure things are cleaned up at the end. But then when I kind of realized was, wait a second, there is more in me than I thought. And I didn't realize how much I can stretch money and how much other people want to be a part of certain things mm -hmm. and kind of get things to the next level. And I always tell people is the one thing is I don't work. They don't work for me. I work for them because mm -hmm. I want them to want to work with me for the next project. And that's my goal every single time I'm on set, especially when you're at the helm, you know, you don't let it go to your head. Um, I know a lot of directors just kind of like being directing because they can feel like they can control people or abuse people or anything like that. That was never anything that I thought of. Um, yeah. You have to keep evolving and you have to get to a certain place where I said, wait, I actually can do this. Let me go back and learn the work. And so for pitching, which again, there are so many jobs in the film industry. Yes, there are people who are just paid to pitch. There's people who pay to write business plans, top sheets, um, scripts, storyboards, um, concept art. I went and learned all of it and <laughs> I learned how to put all of it together. I mean, I don't have like a concept artist, but I went out, I'll find people who draw a certain way. And because I have this one sci-fi film that I actually written this year, way early this year. Um, and I found someone who can draw it for me and just get concept art drawn because it's sci-fi. Right. Um, going out, getting storyboard, um, being able to go out and talk to actors. So I'm not talking about the actors you just know and locally i'm talking about actors you see regularly on tv and in movies that are around the world oh. how to reach them that's something that's a very hard curve but i learned how to do that and shout out to you first of all again because but something that you've been talking about this whole interview that has been profound to me is learning and being a student of the game how did you because you work multiple jobs you had many hats that you're wearing mm -hmm. time yeah how did you factor in the time to learn these things to take the classes like was it like you were working while you were at the gym reading up and 
how did you get to that space where you learned the skills that were necessary to get you to the place of pitching, of learning how to pitch, learning how to write, learning how to act? Yeah. How did you incorporate that into your daily lifestyle? So I'll definitely say for working, um, I worked at the gym, so I actually brought a, so like, for example, books, I would bring a book, a film book, and I will read in between while guests were swiping in because you're supposed to greet everybody, answer the phone, clean up the gym. I'll be reading. Um, when it came to script writing, I would write, I brought a small notebook with me and I write all my ideas in there. So like anything that popped in my head, I wrote it down. Mm. Um, when it came to my other job, which I work remote, um, I would have two laptops in front of me and I'll be working and writing or emailing someone at the same time. Um, I kept working the entire time um, at all phases. Um, classes, same thing. I took classes at Saturday. I know other people my age might've went out they're at partying, going to clubs. I was in classes for five hours, actually. Yeah. My classes, my acting classes were five hours because we'll start at, ooh, um, three or four. And we're sinking to Los Angeles time, by the way. So you'll start mm -hmm. like three or four on Saturday and you're not done till sometimes eight, nine o'clock at night. And then I'll wake up and go to gym in the morning, you know, wake up six, six thirty, and I'll be in gym at seven. And so I was just constantly getting better because I need to understand, which I'm always glad because every skill you pick up can work later. You know, when it comes to casting, there's a lot of people who cast and don't have never really acted before. Yeah. So, you know, some people say they could just spot if someone's good, good for a role. But for me, it's knowing acting and knowing that energy. I, I just know, you'll know immediately what this person does. And it's not just always physically. Sometimes it really is how this person is snapped in the character and use your words. Wow. And, and knowing all these kind of things, you know, even just meeting up, I've done things where I've gone off the work, like closed and locked the door and had a meeting with someone that I reached out to on IMDB through their, you know, through their IMDB, I found their email and they will call me from Los Angeles on my phone in my car and I'll talk to them for two hours all the way till midnight and then I'll drive home and get ready for work the next day. I've done that many times because I needed information and that's one of the important things because you can't learn without it. I have personally even gone through movies. Move, I'm talking about random movies, like, because I'm talking about, I know I don't watch movies the way maybe many people do right. in terms of just consumption. I dissect movies. So I'm talking about, I'm in the credits. I'm learning who these people are. Um, and I'm not talking about A-listers. I'm talking about the B and C people. Uh -huh. How did you sell your movie? What, you, what does this mean? This random movie on Netflix that you never heard of. Okay, but that's a film you got their film on Netflix. Right. Reach out to them. I did that, you know, and that's how I got, that's how I got the knowledge I went. I said, okay, how did you meet them? What did they give you? Sometimes they will tell you how much money they got for those deals. Sometimes they do. Wow. Um, yeah, they'll tell you privately on the phone calls. They'll tell you how they started. They'll tell you everything. And you'll be so surprised how small the industry is. One of my mentors, I saw his film get sold by a company I was looking at mm -hmm. just recently. Um, and well, this was like two years ago. I said, hey, you know what? I'm going to find this guy's Instagram. I found him on Instagram. I just DM'd him. Is this the New Zealand guy? Um, nope, not him. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, not You got to tell the New Zealand story. Yeah, but. <laughs> I got to tell you New Zealand story, man. Um, but this was a different guy. His name is Kerry. And he, um, he'll tell me just all these different stories of his film career in Los Angeles. And he has, a, he has a movie coming out again. And he just told me about everything. And he, he, he gave me a heart-to-heart, -heart, like real, real information. This industry can get you, period. Like, 
use and he specifically told me one one he told me if any two advice that he told me at least remember if i don't remember anything else don't just sign anything the second one use everything you have and so we meant by that said hey if you're an african-american filmmaker go out and find people who are looking for that if you're a blah 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 filmmaker go for, go out there and find that you're a woman go out and find that like there are people who are looking for certain kind of demographics of people use that Use whatever you have to go and make yourself stand out. I don't care what it is. Yeah. You know, if you're disabled, use that. That makes you stand out from everybody else. Just do it. Go out and use every single thing you have. And so that's kind of what I did to get meetings because people are looking for different voices and different stories. Use that. You know, that's what you have. I'm glad that you you brought up, like, if you're African-American, use that because uh, in my research, of the industry prepping for this interview, two numbers stood out to me, 12 and six, 12%. And an Arizona state study found that 12% of black actors represent leading roles in Hollywood. Yeah. But this wasn't the one that really stood out to me because you know we, we make about 13% of the general population in the United States of America, but 6% Less than 6% of black people represent writers, producers, directors combined. When I heard that number, I was like, bro, this is crazy. So I know we talked about, and I'm, I'm finally ready to talk about your new project and everything. When pitching, because I know that we talked about it and like when I tell y'all determined, I need to, I'm gonna look into the camera to say this. This is one of the most determined individuals that I know because I remember literally play by play, we're in the gym and it, I just remember every step. It's like, I had this meeting, I'm going to Los Angeles, I'm going to this, I'm going to this. And then ultimately you tell me where the investors are from. And I'm like, what? Like, they're not, <laughs> like they are out of the country. And I think what is so profound about your process and so admirable is the resiliency of course but let's talk about the the industry and and how representation how much representation matters and as we see you know we're in that there's a strike there's the two strikes that are happening and like we talked about off mic like this has never happened before you know like at the same time um where do you see yourself going in creating representation for our community and abroad as you continue to continue on your journey. Yeah, it's um this industry is very challenging for us. Um not just our complexion, but it's also very challenging in terms of getting the money. And that's some that's the the number one goal, you know, where am I going to get the funding? And even though you kick off for grants, again, grants are very slim. Um, they only give it to one person. There's probably get over 10,000 or even 20 or 50,000 applications all around the world. And so only one person can get them. No matter how narrow they try to make the grant specific, I'm sure they get thousands of applications. And so the only way they really navigate as an independent filmmaker, you have to take it to the chin sometimes. <clears throat> and sorry. It's okay. We've been talking a lot, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> look, we've been talking for a little while. I'm going to take some too because, look. Yeah, it's um. so you'll have to ask other people. You'll have to ask um, yourself how hard you really want this because some people 
are not, sometimes I'm just going to be very frank. Sometimes when it comes to your stories or what you want to do in terms of your team, sometimes it may not be where it needs to be. You need just a little bit more experience. Luckily for me, the years I've been on, I knew what, I know production, you know, I've done like over 30 things in like two, three years. I know production. Um, so I knew who actually does the work and who actually lives and breathes it versus who just kind of wants to do it. Cause it just looks interesting. Um, so when you're out there trying to build your teams, go out and get the money and investments, there's so many different ways you could finance a film. So for my biggest project, when I went out and I'm not going to release their names, but, uh, for the biggest project I was doing, um, going out, getting the investors, getting the lawyers, um, getting turned down by Hollywood, going out and trying again, because I got turned down a lot and I still went out and tried again. Um, go out to mixers. This is something that a lot of filmmakers don't do. You have to put yourself out there. Um, I think a lot of filmmakers want to just make their film and just want all the money just come right after. And that's just not good enough. I am so sorry. Such not reality. What you have to do, you need to go to mixers. You need to go out, talk to people, the local um, ecosystem community of CEOs out there. There's people with money just walking around. Sometimes they're interested. You just need to talk to them. Go out to those little things where they're just meeting up and just talking about raising money. Yes, it could be a different sector, energy, oil, technology, but you're there. There is money there. One of those people could go home right now who are a millionaire who just like a Netflix show and you just come up and pop up with your film or your idea and they might be fun, the next person funding you. Wow. That might be, that's actually how I met my lawyer. You know, you just, you just don't know who shows up to these events. Go, I went out there and did that with a bro. And by the way, my leg wasn't even fully healed yet. This is LA or this is? This was in, this or, was here in Maryland. Okay. This was, I got my brace off January 30th. I was in the mixer January 31. <laughs> I barely stand. You are not human, bro. <laughs> like, I don't care. You just continue. You are, uh, you are iRobot at this point. Like, that, I'm changing your name in my phone because this is unhuman. <laughs> bro, yeah. what? Yeah. <laughs> you got injured in December. The surgery was December, correct? Mm -hmm. That's insane. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah, I drove myself home after I got hurt. I drove myself home, sat in my car, called Tim, and he picked me up, took me to the hospital. So it was, um, it was Wait, a lot. Whoa. Hold up. <laughs> I just heard what you said. Like, I was, I just heard. You did what? Yeah. I drove myself home after I got hurt. I had my leg was disabled. And I, it's your right leg. It was my left one. Oh, okay. Okay, mm -hmm. okay. okay. And I drove, I walked, well, hobbled to my car, got in the car because I didn't want to get in the ambulance. And I drove home. I called my insurance and I asked them, keep in mind, my legs like in throbbing in pain. But I've kept it cool, called them, what hospital could I go to? They sit in College Park, and I called Sam. He drove, picked me up, and we, he took me to a hospital. And so that's what we did all in that time. And then you go to the mixer where you meet your lawyer less than a, well, just over a month. Yeah, just yeah, just about a little bit of a month because I got my thing off on the 30th. I was in the mixer the 31st, and then that's where I met my lawyer. I had the... Um, the brace on, like the soft brace, um, and I was walking. I walked very slow, actually, because I came out my car and a few people who were going to the mixer as well, we all started talking. They were walking way more in front of me. I was walking behind here, and they asked me, all right. I said, oh, I'm fine. I'm just enjoying the atmosphere. But I was actually in pain. But I let nobody know that I was in pain. Um, now, one time when I was in the mixer. This guy is built different. <laughs> I just didn't want to show anything, man. I, was, I, wanted, I wanted it more than anything.
And I, I go out to the mixers, I'll talk to people, build that ecosystem of context, business cards, um, introducing myself. Because even though you get no's or people aren't interested, I, I know at the end of the day, I would not did my best. It's always better than just doing nothing um, because you just don't know what's out there. And that's just pretty much what I vibrated to. Um, so you got to go out there because even though, yes, our representation is very low, at the end of the day, you have to go out there and put yourself out too. Um, you can't just wait for the world to kind of want to come to you. It's just really not going to happen that way realistically. You have to put yourself out there. You have to go fight for it. Um, you know what you're against and you chose to be a filmmaker because um, after a certain amount of years, you might kind of be like, you know what, maybe this isn't, if you really want this, you got you got to go out and fight for it. And that's just what I did every single year. Um, I went out and I just kept evolving to what was going on. If I felt like I was stagnant in my career for like five seconds, I immediately start figuring out what problem solve it. And, you know, mm. oh, okay, I'm not getting casted, take more classes. Oh, I'm not getting casted, get more headshots. Oh, I don't like any of the roles I'm getting. Even though these roles were offering me a substantial amount of money, I don't like any of these roles. And even if I got casted for these roles, it just they, feel like you, it's not fulfilling and it's you're kind of it's kind of embarrassing because I read these scripts. I read hundreds of scripts from Hollywood. Mm. Some of these scripts with that black like I'll read them and I'll say, hey, why is all the white actors doing this? Why is the one black character in this whole movie mm. is doing that? Right. I don't like that. You know, like I just did not. It just rubbed me the wrong way many times. And I just told my reps, you know, like I'm embarking on this journey and I'm seizing it myself. And wow. that's just what I chose to do. You know, um, getting the investors across the ocean and stuff. I have to thank my lawyer for that um, to giving me those calls because I just kept taking me and kept taking meetings. Um, we're very close to landing the film. Um, and then I was actually just waiting for a check. We finished all the paperwork. And then the strike happened. Wow. Film goals, investors are no longer interested because the when the strikes happen, you know, as film is a speculative in industry, most people do not, who may, who have money, did not make their wealth from making movies. So when something like that happens, they're not going to be interested in it. Right. And there's, and with the strike going on, there's a lot of restrictions that was going on, you know, especially at the beginning. So they kind of just pulled out if they want to start again, they can email me. I'm sure I'll be down, but they pulled out and I had to go back to square one. And I said, you know what? Um, I've been writing uh, 2021, so 2023 now. <laughs> when I have an idea, I take an index card and I just write the, I just think of a title, just write the title and I just write what I think the log line is and I just put it on my desk and I just leave it there. That's, that's what I do. I just, so I had a little thing, and when that came, when all this happened with the strike, I, I just looked at my desk, I just picked up my cards, and I just, oh, I can make this one. Mm. And I put my card back down. I took my pile of note cards. I filled them all out, made the arcs and stuff. And I, I told myself, well, before I even start writing something, I was asking myself, what do I, where do I see this going, and what do I want to do with it? And I, once I answered all those questions, I wrote the script because I've been thinking about this story for a while, so it wasn't really hard to kind of do the ins cards. I wrote the script and I looked at it and I said, okay, this this has to be the one that I can make myself and not rely on someone else. And that's what I did. Um, I executive produced this feature film and I will be paying 
um, I get such a large team. Um, I know for most people with film, they don't see how much legal things in there. Again, people talk about the people who make the cameras while the legal stuff, there's a lot of legal stuff, right? A lot of unions you have to talk to, to most people, when they get the money for a film, you see it all the time. They just shoot the film, kind of just Venmo people and pay people. And that's it. That's not what we're doing. We have payroll. I have a payroll service. Mm -hmm. We have, we are SAC after I went to the union and I got my contract. I can get famous actors on my show. Oh, and by the way, I'm working on one right now, you know, to get her down here. Um, I'm I'm good friends with her agent. Cheeto applause. Cheeto applause. <laughs> he said that. He said that flex. That was a subtle flex right there. Cheeto applause. Cheeto applause. I pieced everything to with years of experience. You're able to piece everything together. It's useful to to actually do background acting. So I know there's actors who look down on that. Well, you're not a well. Okay, let's say one you want to direct or produce. Do you know who who does background acting casting in your area? Do you even know how to do it? Mm. So I learned all these kind of things over my years of being an actor. And I just paid, people don't think I'd be watching, but I watch, you know, I'd watch very close, you know, a little closer than most people think I do. Right. And I'm just spectator more than anything. I'm just spectating and learning, spectating and learning. And the next thing I know, um, I was able to get payroll, payroll done, uh, the SAG after contract, then getting your film on breakdown services. So actors access. It's not a simple thing as, as people think it is, you know, in order to put a role out for the market to even respond to, for the actors to submit themselves to, you have to go through the box offices. I was um, doing a meeting with Toronto uh, Film Box Office. They were the ones that are available. Toronto and New York does like this entire side of the planet, really. Wow. So they, you have to have a meeting with them after you fill out their paperwork. And then you have your meeting virtually, 40 minutes to about an hour. Then you're, Then they release it. And they release your project to the masses. For my project, we got over 700 submissions in about two days. Yeah, 700 of them. So a lot of people wanted to be a part of uh, So, okay. I know I've asked you this before. Now, you, if you don't answer, it's okay. <laughs> Can we get a name of the project? Can we release the name yet? Not yet. I'm okay. sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's all right. I'm not going to press. <laughs> it's okay. I had to ask, you know what I mean? I had to ask. I was like, can we get it? I wasn't going to ask about the pot plot or anything. I, like, I just need a name. But I'm going to let you rock. And you ready to drop the name. We're going to drop the name on our Instagram, on his Instagram. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Um, but I had one more question. And thank you so much for like just taking the time to chill and, and just mm -hmm. chop it up with me, bro. Like truly, yeah. I really hope that the audio, listening audience is seeing what I see. And we talk about this all the time. When we're in the gym, bro, like just keep on putting God first. Yes. You know what I mean? Like we talk about this, me, you and Rodney talked about it yes. for a whole hour. Again, you've heard on this podcast, shout out to my pastor, Rodney Codwell, bro. But like, as you continue to walk this path, bro, just continue to put God first, bro. And I know that the sky is the limit. Uh, but one, maybe two, I'm not gonna lie. Last <laughs> question. Uh, when you talk about legacy, yeah, this is my ending question for everyone. What does legacy look like to you what do you want to leave behind for the next come i mean the upcoming generation yeah that that's something i think i think about a lot is what do you want this industry where do you want to go in this industry where do you want it to end and i think that's a good question a lot of people should ask themselves because it can drive you insane and 
I told myself, if anything, I wanted the next generation to have it easier than I did. Mm-hmm. Even though some people may love how hard I work and say, yeah, you earn it because you work hard. I firmly believe nobody should go through what I've been through. Mm-hmm. I firmly believe it. Um, you shouldn't feel like you have to go through as much as I do. You shouldn't have to feel like you ever had to self-fund something. You shouldn't feel like because of the way you look like you're going to be typecasted or neglected in the marketplace. Um, you shouldn't even have to take so much bet on yourself so many times. Like, yes, it's, it's good to, but it also could lead to destruction if it's not going as well. Yeah. Um, I want the next generation to have it easier. And if anything, they just remember some of my films. So when they're pitching their films, they can say, oh, Ismael Bronson made this film. I can make this too. And they look at my film and say, oh, that was a successful film. I remember that 80 years ago. Okay. <laughs> you know, that's that's yeah. it. You know, like that, that, if anything. And I also wanted to leave a um, um, some type of, uh, if anything, at least right now while I'm alive, I'm going to do it. But if I could leave it behind, I wanted to fund a bunch of projects for kids for all the schools that I've been through. Wow, that was that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, that's fine. Nah, we're going we're going to put a pause there, man. Because nah, bro, giving back to your community that is like uh, one of the biggest things that I feel like we need more people to do. And I uh, talk about one of my other friends, Darius, who he uh, went back to Blake. He ran track at UMBC, and he's now the head coach at Blake, where he ran track. And uh, it's just always admirable to see people go back to their community. So, man, I. I support you. Let me know how I can help you because we went to similar schools because we went to the same high school, middle school, elementary school. <laughs> Just not college, but we're down the street from each other. Um, so anyway, I can support that, bro. I am here. Even if you need it from a producing or whatever standpoint, uh, definitely let me know. Uh, but man, where can the people find you on social media? Like share your socials and yeah, bro. Yeah. So they can chime in, support you and just be on the lookout for this project that we're waiting on the name for. We don't have it yet, but we're going to get the name soon. Oh, I'm going to tell you guys this project. So uh, my socials. So you can actually, first thing is my business. So I haven't announced my business. So this will be the first time I do like an official announcement. Okay, exclusive. So this will be 301 motion pictures. I named it after my area code because I said if I passed away, I wanted people to, if and my business continues, I want it to continue. Um, people refer to this area code for talent. Mm-hmm. So that's why I named it 301 Motion Pictures. Shout out to Maryland. Shout out to right? Maryland. <laughs> you know, Bethesda Games did the same thing. They started in Bethesda and people know about this area. So Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. That's a fun fact I did not know. Yeah. So I'm doing the same thing. Um, so 301 Motion Pictures written out, um, not numbered. And you can find my Instagram. So Ismael Q. Bronson. Um, I-S-M-A-I-L-Q-B-R-O-N-S-O-N. And you can find it there. And my new feature film, um, this is a very extremely, like I said, it's very different. It's extreme, It's dark, but extremely artsy um, because you want to show the market and people what you bring. And it's called The Cobbler's Wife, um, a movie about a man who makes- We got a name. And yeah. fixes shoes. And he is in love with a doll that he made in the back of his store. This movie actually explores a lot of misogyny um, about a man who made the perfect wife and he is still harming this doll. 
and we are having the doll not speak not one time in the movie and the doll is played by a human and makeup and me have made a plan well this doll is completely made of um well we're going to do her makeup and she's going to be wearing a wedding dress and the way this doll exp expresses herself is she can only smile because she's supposed to be perfect and happy all the time as she dances to express herself in certain scenes and so yes wow. this 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 is a thriller by the way this is not a romance film mm -hmm. this is a thriller it's yeah. dark <laughs> no. you know <laughs> i mean hey bro like like yeah uh yeah when you talk about thrillers you are walking into a world that i think because i'm glad that there is somebody that has done it and you're going to continue to do it but like jordan peele before get out and nobody would have thought that black you know black directors would have so I applaud you for going down that route. You know what I mean? We we need more individuals that will push the threshold and push the envelope. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a black exploitation film. It doesn't have to be just a rom-com. It can be sci-fi. It can yes. be whatever you want to push yes. your mind and heart to. Yes. Just I, dream big. Just dream big. Don't be scared of the marketplace. Um, that's something I always tell people. I, I told everybody I know about this film. Um, some of my actors actually read the script and they said, Oh, you told me on the phone this is dark. This is really dark. And I was like, yeah, you know. And it's oh, you pushed dark. it like that. I pushed the envelope. Uh, I saw Black Mirror, I think, like a few months ago for the first time. And I said, oh, if you go that dark, okay, I can, I can do that. That was, I mean, that's literally what my brain was. I, I believe um, with all the manga and stuff I read, I know where my cap is in terms of, you know, mm -hmm. where you could go. But I said, I'm going to make something that is with Black people but I'm gonna make us different. I'm gonna show something different. Like if you thought I could I could show something different mm -hmm. and this film is really different in terms of what it is. I have a team, I have a whole um, sound production, sound design team already. They have been signed onto this film for months already um, between my camera crew, uh, makeup artists and everything else. We're, we're gonna swing this part. We're gonna swing this film out the park. Like it's, it's gonna be so different. We're casting right now. Um, and I'm very proud and blessed of all the actors who are interested and 700 plus submissions. I, I'm, I'm thrilled and, I, I'm, I I'm, I was very emotional that so many people love the idea and I'm very thankful for how many SAG actors who have big roles in TV shows yeah. and things like that, who apply to this role as well. Um, I thank them. I thank this area for wanting to embrace something like this and I thankful for, um, people around in my team who want to embrace something so different um, because this is something that I want to take into the the biggest some of the biggest film festivals on the planet because I just I'm taking that leap where I believe that something like this yes it's different it's not going to be I'm not going to say it's one of one but it's going to be the one that's going to have to just show his face and that's just what we're going Oh, oh, oh. Bruh said don't have to be one of one, but it's going to have to be the one that shows its face. <laughs> that's a bar. That's a bar. <laughs> that's a bar. I might have to steal that one. That's a bar. My brother, man, I wish you all the best. And when, again, we have powwowed so much, and I pray that you just continue to just walk down that path, bro. And just let your, your dream, just continue to dream big because we need, I'm a strong believer in impact. And you never know how 
your faith to rise up into a space that is uncommon may impact the next generation. So I truly encourage you to, even if it feels dim, even if it feels tough, even if you feel alone in a season, that you continue to walk that path because I believe along this journey that you can make it easier for those people that are coming behind you so they don't have to go through what you, and that is what legacy is about, is passing the torch to the next generation and making it easier. We did not go through nearly as much troubles as our parents and their parents and their parents, you know? So I, I receive that and I see it. And if there's anybody that I know that can do it, it is you because you talked about the work. So I know that you're willing to do it. You're not about to just talk about it. You're going to do the work. So I thank you for coming down, brother. You know what I'm saying? Coming, chopping it up on this podcast. Uh, Y'all, I try to tell y'all. I got that fire for y'all. But thank you for tuning in to another fantastic episode of Why Now with Alexander DeBlanc. Until next time, peace.